I'm Kendra Tomolato, here with Mei Zhang, and this is the China Travel Podcast by Wild China Travel. Each week, we'll be heading to a new place in China to share our top local tips and tricks, highlighting our favorite food, hotels, and experiences, as well as sharing resources. If you're joining or catching up on past episodes, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. And lastly, if you're interested in traveling China with us or attending any of our other virtual events, please visit our website at wildchina.com. Hi everyone! Welcome back to Wild China's travel podcast. My name is Zhang Mei, founder of Wild China, and I am always the lucky one who gets to chat with our experts and friends from all corners of China. And today, my guest is Diana Chang Chang, an architect in Beijing, a very well-known figure in the industry. But she's not practicing architecture anymore. Instead, she took a very, very special path to share the beauty and the inspiration of architecture with audiences from around the world. A little background on Diana: She hosted the first Chinese contemporary architecture exhibition in Paris with the association she created, A3, which stands for Architecture Art Association. Settling in Beijing in 1992, Diana organized the Infinite Flat, a very interesting project constructing 10 signature apartments in Beijing's Phoenix City. It's one of the residential compounds in Beijing, designed by 10 internationally renowned creators. And Diana continued to form conferences in metropolitan cities around the world and was awarded the Order of Arts and Letters by the French Ministry of Culture for her work. On the French Embassy in Beijing, architecture addict. This is what people call her. Diana served as a consultant for various prestigious institutions in Beijing to continue her work in the field of architecture. It's an extreme honor to have you, Diana, to share with us your beloved city and my beloved city, Beijing. So to set the scene, Diana, I appreciate this is a Saturday morning for you. I happen to know that you have this incredibly beautiful home in traditional Hutong neighborhood of Beijing. Could you set the scene for us a little bit and tell us, describe for me where you are? I was born in London. I lived in Spain, Germany, France, England, and now I've chosen to live in Beijing as a Huachao, a Chinese overseas. It was important for me to find a home in China of my choice. And since what I saw wasn't exactly what I liked at the time when I came, I decided finally to build my own courtyard house. So I bought an old courtyard house and renovated it, still keeping the traditional Sihuayuan. For that, for me, was important because I studied architecture in London, in Paris, and in Beijing, and I wanted to help be part of the. Conservation of prehistoric China, which was in Beijing, the quadrangle houses or the Sihuayuan. Sihuayuan is a garden with four houses around it, and it is、uh, reflects all the Confucian ideas of China. This traditional Sihuayuan that is a very northern architecture, isn't it? Is it very Beijing specific? Well,、uh, the history of Sihuayuan in China. Is about three thousand years. You could say that the first hole that existed for inhabiting used to be a piece of land with a hole inside it, and then the rooms to the doors going outside. This we saw in Lanzhou, and it's all underground. It is related mainly with Beijing 
and has become the symbol of Chinese housing. When you talk about the urban tissue, traditional urban tissue of Beijing, it is the Sihayuan blocks that surround the Forbidden Palace. The Sihayuan embodies in it all the elements which are important in the Chinese families. You know exactly where the master of the house lives. You know exactly who are the important members. The regulations for these Sihayuans are very, very strict, which is also means that the traditional Chinese architecture in China has not changed for many, many years. It was for the Chinese people the ideal way of living. And even the Forbidden Palace, it's a series of Sihayuans. It's probably the biggest Sihayuan in China is the Forbidden Palace. The architecture is very much reflects the philosophy of the society, even the structure of a home, which is the smallest unit of a society, right? And the hierarchy of the family. Maybe tell us the four directions, which is most prized. Where should the master be, and where should the servants be? The master normally lives in the northern part of the house, which is the section of the building that receives the most sunshine. That in the past was very important because it meant also the health for sanitary reasons. It is also normally composed depends whether your courtyard house is a big one or the small. Mine is the smallest unit. It's one courtyard surrounded by four buildings and a few extensions on the sides. The main person or the owner of the Sihayuan normally lives on the northern side. Then you have、uh, side buildings, which is the east and the west, which receive. One receives the morning sun, the other one receives the afternoon sun. Then you have what they call the opposite house, or the sitting room, or the servants' quarters. You sometimes have an extra building behind the main building, and that's where the daughters or the servants used to live. There used to be in the ancient courtyard house, which I did not respect in mine. There was a wall with a round hole in it, which looked like the moon. This Was the barrier where women in the old days in China would not leave the house. But in my house, that was impossible because I have three children, one son and two daughters. My two daughters are very modern, work, and you could never imagine to ask them not to leave the house. So I decided that that particular wall with the moon was not necessary in my house. <laughs> so I didn't respect that. Well, rightly so. I applaud you on that. <laughs> I thank your children, your daughters, for busting that barrier. Let me take this conversation and take our audience into a different part of Beijing, which is the famous Forbidden City. Right? For our listeners who don't know, while China, we are very lucky to have Diana as our architecture expert who guides for our very selected clients through the Forbidden City. And that is another sort of almost top example of traditional Chinese architecture. Can you give us a few architectural highlights of the Forbidden City? The Forbidden City. I was fascinated the first time I went, and I wanted to keep this feeling for my clients,、uh, especially those of Wild China, which are well selected, very、uh, knowledgeable people, and very well traveled all over the world. I studied a lot the history of the. Way that the Forbidden Palace was built, and it is very important to know that the whole city of Beijing was built around the Forbidden City. There's an eight-kilometer pathway from the southern part of 
Beijing, taking you through the Temple of Heaven, taking you through the market area, and then through Tiananmen, and then you start discovering the Forbidden City, which is only not even one quarter of this pathway. The Temple of Heaven had always to be bigger than Forbidden Palace. The Forbidden Palace was for the emperor, but the Temple of Heaven was for all the head of the emperors, the people who put the emperor in their position. As you come towards this Forbidden Palace and you see this extremely big red wall with buildings on it and only three entrances, you ask yourself a lot of questions. And my first question always is, which entrance should we use? But of course, it's the center one, because as you know, the Forbidden Palace was for the emperors. And therefore, from this huge wall, woman, people were not allowed to go into the palace. This is why it's called the Forbidden Palace, because it's uh, forbidden for people to go in. What is important also for me is that when I see my clients, I always tell them the two things for me which are very important when you come into this building. One is that you look well around yourself and see who surrounds you. Because this used to be the Forbidden Palace, nobody was allowed in it. But today it is a museum, a public museum. And you will see all the ethnic Chinese people in this building, as well as all the foreign people from all over the world. So don't miss this chance. You can see in one morning, or whole day if you stay, all the Chinese ethnic different faces and dressings and people in China. It gives you immediately, because it's so different, a lot of them don't even look Chinese. And then the second thing is that in the Chinese architecture all over China, there is this movement of going into very strict corridors and entrances, and then you're released into a completely enormous big spaces. So all this is part of breathing go in and you breathe out and you take in what you see. This movement you must not forget because it is all along the Forbidden Palace. To well understand the Forbidden Palace, and this is why I often have a little book that I picture, a few pages which for me are indispensable to understand, not only the Forbidden Palace but China. As you enter the Forbidden Palace and you study the details, you realize that if you want to work in China, if you want to understand the Chinese people, you must go to the Forbidden Palace. It englobes all the regulations of building. It englobes all the Chinese mœurs, um, how do you say that, culture. All this is part of the fact that in Europe or in other countries, you have a religion. But in China, personally, don't think the Chinese people globally have. And therefore, you do not have a Bible or a Koran. But you have in China what we call the I Ching, which is the book of changes, of mutations. And in the I Ching is the yin and the yang. And these are very important to understand if you want to understand China. It's the opposite. What I absolutely love about going to the Forbidden Palace, it doesn't matter how many times you go, there's always something new to learn. Apart from the I Ching, you also have the five elements. These are very important, play a very important role in the Chinese architecture and the culture of the Chinese people. There is one element which is uh, the center, the earth. Then you have in the north, water, which is very important. The south, fire. The west, wood. And the east, 
metal. If you look at the European culture, there's only four elements. An instrument of geomancy, which most people know by feng shui, but actually is the hexagram. It has the yin yang yang, the way to heaven, the cardinal principle of all things in China. And you need to know a bit about it because it's a combination of the wuxing, the yin and the yang, the hexagram that gives you all the elements to know how to build the Forbidden Palace. Of course, I'm not going to go into detail, and each of those can literally get a PhD on every single one of these. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into it. But all that we want to know is that the Forbidden Palace was built in the center of Beijing, and because of it, blocks all the circulation in the whole of Beijing. All the roofs are yellow because they are at the center of the Wuxing, the five elements, and the earth is symbolized by the yellow color. And then you have also all the elements that have a part in the Wuxing, which are the direction, the fact that it's in the center, the atmospheric elements, the stage in life, the emotions, the musical note, of course, the colors. That is fascinating. You know, Diana, I could like totally walk through the Forbidden City with you for two days. In some ways, that's the heart of Beijing, and that's the heart of China. And it's a good starting point to really understand from a architectural perspective how the style sort of permeates through the country. Right. So far, we've been talking about this very traditional courtyard architecture and very imperial. For our travelers today, though, landing at Beijing Airport, driving to the city, your eyes are immediately drawn to the. Galaxy, the that's the designed by Zaha Hadid, and when you drive a little further, if you're en route to、uh, the Forbidden City, you will see the CCTV building, which is another. You probably know him, another well-known architect. Some people jokingly call it the big <laughs> underpants because they look like two legs of、um, pair of shorts. And also further by the Forbidden City, not far, the Opera Egg. From your perspective. How do these、uh, unique modern architectures fit into the narrative of architecture of Beijing? Contemporary Beijing is、uh, extremely different to traditional China. Yes, the city was built on、uh, traditional regulations. It stayed very strictly like that for many years.、It、started off before the seventh century, perhaps. When I first arrived in China in seventy-eight, there were no high-rises. The tallest building was the Beijing Hotel. Today, you mainly see the contemporary architecture. But then there is、um, about fifteen, twenty years ago, you saw mushrooming all over China, not just Beijing, but mainly Beijing being the capital. A lot of buildings that started being taller than. Seven, ten floors, and now go up to nearly thirty, or even the new building, which is up to five hundred and twenty-seven meters. Most of the iconic contemporary buildings in China were built in the last ten, fifteen years. There is a very important moment in the Chinese contemporary architecture that I find is the Olympics. The Olympics brought to China thirty-two stadiums. Out of which 19 were new. Most of the huge iconic buildings in Beijing, the budget to build them was given to foreign architects, and most of them very well known. But of course, the theatre, the National Theatre, 
It was built by Paul Andreu, a French architect, and it's huge. The building has five theaters inside it, all of different sizes. One 2,700, another 2,000, another 1,700, and then there are smaller theaters, all allowing operas, concerts, exhibitions, art exhibitions, uh, everything. Using all the materials from the most modern and the most expensive to all the marbles and materials you can find in the building. It is absolutely wonderful and worth going to see. From the outside, it's just an egg. It looks as if it has a curtains which are open to the scenery. From the outside, you see that. And from the inside, you see the curtains to the city of Beijing. So it is very symbolic as well as a theater. Probably the most interesting element of it, there is a passageway of 60 meters long that was built under the building, covered by the water, and supposed to be a passage to go from one side of Tiananmen to the other side. But unfortunately, because of security reasons, this passageway has never been used, and it takes away a lot from this building. The same thing with the CCTV. The CCTV is a huge building that was built by Rem Koolers and Ole Chiron. It was, of course, the central television of China, which was a very important political building. From whichever side, unlike the National Theatre, which is exactly the same from whatever way you see it, the CCTV, from whichever position you see it, it has a different view. And yes, one of the views that you have is that it looks like a pair of pants. But actually, the CCTV has uh, architecturally some features which are exceptional. It has a 75 piece that juts out and that is uh, structurally very difficult to build. The interior is a forest of metal trees. But the problem is that you cannot visit it anymore because it's a private building. So that, again, it takes away from the building. It is worth even seeing it from the outside. Then there are many other buildings which are worth visiting in contemporary Beijing, often much less known, and they are built by Chinese architects. A lot of social housing, which were built by Chinese locals and very worth also visiting. But the problem is that they are social housing, so you cannot visit them because they are all private. And also... The architects are not necessarily very well known. Often the financial budget given to these architects are low, but they manage to make wonders. I would like to mention a few because uh, they are often not very well known. There is Liu Xinggang, did some social housing outside Beijing. Yu Yuan, Mai Yuansong, who built quite a lot of very well-known social buildings. And he is probably the best-known young Chinese architect who not only is known in China, but also in Europe. Uh, he used to work for Zaha Hadid. Of course, for contemporary buildings, there are also the 16 buildings of Soho, which each of them comprise a well-known foreign architect. It is true that a lot of the iconic buildings have been given to foreigners. And even though new Chinese politics to encourage Chinese architects, local architects, to build more, in actual fact, the client and often the final signature buildings are given to foreign builders. That is why China is considered as the site, the world site for architecture stars 
There is one element also that came out from the 2008 Olympics, and since then, there are five airports in Beijing. Shows also the influx of Chinese tourists as well as foreigners, and these airports are the most high technology airports in the world. Extremely gigantic sizes. Yeah, the Daxing Airport. Once you get in there, you really need to be there two hours before. When you see the whole building and you have, if you want to go and visit, you need a lot of time. And of course, this was the last project of Zaha Hadid before she died. One of the most famous women architects. I think Diana, this is the most amazing thing that most people who have not traveled to China are most surprised about. Right? Everyone goes to China, or before they go, there's this whole expectation to find the traditional ancient China dragons, lanterns, and Great Wall in the Forbidden City. To be completely shocked by this very modern—I wouldn't say sort of like almost sci-fi type of city. That's the sort of juxtaposition of where China is today. From a architectural perspective, for anyone who loves seeing architecture, how do they create a journey in China to really see the old and the new? Yes, there's so much to see. First of all, you have to choose where you want to go. I think that's the beauty of Beijing. You have different stratas of visits. You can visit only the ancient, and there is plenty of it as well. You can choose that perspective. Or you can just go around visiting the modern buildings. You know, you set my mind roaming. I'm already in the Forbidden City, and I'm walking in and out of those. Well, I went to the CCTV building inside, so I can't wait to travel with you under your guidance and visit these iconic, both historical and modern buildings of Beijing, and hopefully around China as well. Wild China Travel presents the China Travel Podcast, hosted by me, Kendra Tombolato, and Wild China founder Mei Zhang. In this series, we'll be traveling to a different place in China each week to share our local tips and expert travel advice. To catch our weekly podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.